Hi everyone and welcome to episode 15 of Sustainable Builders Yak podcast. The podcast gives you the confidence to build high-performing, sustainable homes. Today's podcast is sponsored by Stiebel Eltron Australia. Stiebel Eltron is a company committed to delivering exceptional home comfort products to assist customers in developing homes for the future. With a rich heritage of nearly 100 years in manufacturing innovative home appliances, Stiebel Eltron has become synonymous with green, energy-efficient hot water heating and ventilation. We'd first like to begin by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we meet today and pay our respect to elders past, present and emerging. My name is Brian Guinan from MySmart Building Group here in Perth, Western Australia. And as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Simon Clark from Sustainable Homes, Melbourne. Morning, Simon. Morning, Brian. Good to How be back. Yeah. Happy New Year to you, Matt. Yeah. Same to and you. Happy New Year to all our listeners, by the way. All 20 of them. <laughs> Just <laughs> Okay, today we are joined by Mr. Tom Stevenson, National Sales Manager at Stiebel Eltron Australia, and today we're discussing renewables, hot water heating, and ventilation. Tom, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Matt, I'm really looking forward to this one. It's very techy. I'm a little bit nervous, if I'm completely honest. Oh, Matt, there's a bit of uncharted territory here, but I'm sure, yeah, Tom, you've got it, you've got it sorted. If your social media is anything to go by, you've got it, you've got it all under control. <laughs> so... Folks, for everyone else out there, uh, Tom Stevens is the National Sales Manager for, of Renewable Technologies for Stiebel Eltron. With more than 20 years of experience in the HVAC and plumbing industry, he's developed an acute understanding of the solutions required to create better buildings. He's a passion for energy efficiency and sustainability and believes that how we use energy is as important as how we create it. He's a leader and mentor with Stiebel Eltron Australia, but a tireless efforts in educating the construction industry where he gains his greatest satisfaction. Okay, Tom, so let's start off with a bit of a chat about your past and how you ended up at Stiebel Eltron. So, uh, born and bred New South Wales country boy, uh, moved to Sydney, uh, sort of straight out of school to play rugby, um, ended up falling into the, the plumbing game and uh, through a fair, fair few uh, changes in, in uh, direction, ended up with Stiebel Eltron nearly 15 years ago and uh, basically fell in love with the, the, the product range and uh, their uh, passion for energy efficiency and uh, here I am today. So were you, when you say you're in the plumbing game, were you a plumber or were you were in supply chain or how? So, where supply chain, sales, you, solutions. Sales and supply chain, okay. And then you ended up at Steve Ladron 15 years ago. Close to, yeah. I didn't even know they were in Australia then. Yeah, so we've been here for 25 years, so I'm kind of okay. one of the foundation members, but yeah, okay. Mm. Uh, full disclosure for everyone out there, we um, use Stiebel Eltron for all of our heat recovery ventilation and hot water heaters, um, probably primarily because you guys have boots on the ground. Um, you've got an office here in Perth that you've got someone in the end of the phone. So full disclosure on that. Um, I guess let's start off then with, you know, what everyone knows. Um, can we start off with hot water heaters? And I, I guess, can you just explain exactly how heat pump works? I guess let's start with that and then we can go into the efficiencies of it and, you know, where they're used, et cetera. Yeah. So look, it's a, it's a very common question and uh, most people don't realize they, they have a heat pump. Everybody has a heat pump. There's a heat pump in your car. There's a heat pump in your home, um, be it an air conditioning unit or a fridge. Um, a heat pump by its very uh, definition, it, it moves heat. It doesn't create heat necessarily. Um we're using a refrigerative transfer to uh, increase or decrease temperature depending on what the output requirement is. So in the case of uh, air-to-water heat pumps, such as what Steve Electron specialise in uh, for domestic hot water heating, we use our ambient air temperature as a source. 
and we're creating heat across a refrigerant exchange uh, and applying that into potable water. Okay, so for lay people out there, you're pumping uh, air essentially through the system and through the refrigerant piping, which then that refrigerant is pumped from the external compressor inside the coil or inside the, the internal coil, which then generates, you're using the heat from the air. We, we're u- utilizing the uh, free latent energy that uh, is contained within the air, right down well under zero degrees um, in terms of air, air temperatures. Um, and then the refrigerant in the system will be compressed and convert that into heat. Uh, okay. Then that heat is sent via a coil or a condenser that wraps around the, um, the cylinder to transfer the heat into the water. So, with sorry, just with the heat pump technologies, it, it seems generally uh, somewhat new for, for domestic use um, with homes. I, I remember when first got into the sustainability game, and I uh, went to a conference, and they were talking about um, yeah solar. Solar hot water, yeah, that was all the craze, and then it now it's changed to combine your solar PV system with a with a heat pump as the most efficient sort of setup for a domestic household. So, h- how long has tech been around and been used on 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 homes? Look, I mean, heat pumps have been around as long as air conditioning and fridges. Um, so, heat pump is a generic term for all of those devices, uh, essentially. Uh, heat pump hot water systems have been around a very, very long time. Steve Electron has been pioneering uh, the technology since the, the mid to late 70s, um, mm-hmm. primarily for space heating uh, and space cooling, um, as well as uh, moving into domestic hot water production. Uh, locally in Australia, heat pumps have become the norm in the last 10 years, uh, thanks to government incentives and rebates. Um, solar thermal has always been very strong in Australia, but uh, um, the... Uh, the increase in popularity and the, the decrease in price of solar PV has meant that the, the, the real estate on your rooftop is far more um, valuable to be utilising for solar power generation um, and a great place to store that excess energy or that free renewable energy is within your water. So you're mm. undertaking your thermal activities such as hot water heating or space heating uh, in a system that can store that energy like a battery. Mm-hmm. Okay, so um, I, I find them fascinating. I still like I, I know how they work, and like, but it's to do with check valves and all that stuff inside the unit. All I would say is to everyone that's out there, if we we're explaining and you don't get it, just go to YouTube. There is a gazillion <laughs> videos there that show exactly how a heat pump work and how the, how its efficiencies work. That's a good um, handball, eh? Oh, yeah, <laughs> it's it, no, it's too it's too <laughs> hard to explain over a podcast, Ooh, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah. Like, we need pitches. Essentially, you're taking the energy from the from the air around the unit, and you're transferring that energy into a, a gas or a refrigerant, and that's then being exacerbated. And and how do I say this? <laughs> you're multiplying the efficiency that you're getting from the air through to the water. Does that make Correct. sense? Correct. Yeah. So you're getting so much efficiency out of the air that's around the unit, and you're then using that efficiency to heat your water. That's it's a layman's or yeah. Quite, quite, quite simply is you're taking latent heat from the air yeah. using the properties of the refrigerant exchange for the cost of the electricity to run the compressor. Yeah. So the efficiency essentially is the amount of energy you're putting in to run the compressor then, and the amount of heat uh, that's output by that compressor and that is where you get the high efficiency. So yeah. typical efficiencies are you know one unit of energy in, 
equals you know three, four, or five uh, units of energy out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So in comparison to uh, a standard electric hot water heater or a gas hot water heater, because we know like pretty much anyone that's in the industry that's anything to do with um, sustainability or energy efficiency knows that our, 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 our consumption in an average home in Australia is about 80% for hot water heating. Whereas with a heat pump, the reduction is it's, it's quite a lot. Can you go into that a bit and just tell us what the, what the, the efficiencies are versus... Uh, a standard hot water heat pump or a standard hot water heater, sorry. Yeah, so uh, I guess in the, in the builder space, uh, the builders most commonly would use uh, a wall-mounted gas continuous flow unit uh, uh, deemed to be high efficiency, um, high efficiency certainly in the gas space, uh, higher star, um, but typically somewhere around 75 to 80% efficient, meaning that for every unit of gas you're putting in, you're getting 0.8 of a unit of heat out. Yeah. Um, and that's clearly on a, on a winter's morning where you can see the steam being pushed out. That's heat that's not being invested into the water. Yeah. Um, electric storage cylinders, uh, everyone's had one. We grew up with them. Off-peaks uh, storage heaters were, were very cheap to operate. Um, close to 100% efficient, at 95 96% efficient. Um, you then step up into uh, a heat pump and you're getting 300 400 500% efficiency uh, for, for the same amount of production. Okay. The, 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 the thing to be careful of is obviously consumers needing to know that they have an environmental hot water system that have very, very low power inputs um, that are designed to heat over longer periods of time and really invest that, that uh, energy into the body of water so they take time to build up. Um, so unlike an instantaneous water heater or a continuous flow gas unit, it's not, it's not uh, completely um, infinite and continuous. Uh, it will run out and it does take a little bit of time to recover. And there is losses as well. But I, I think one of the things that we spoke about previously with uh, Jeremy um, was that if you have an instantaneous, you also have, you're, you're burning gas essentially. So there's that part of it that's not considered either. Um, now, you, your, your title is you're in charge of renewables. And that basically leads into, so when you're dealing with hot water heat heat pumps, essentially it's renewable energy over and over and over and over and over, and it's less energy you're using on the heat pump. Um, there's one portion, and it's getting it's getting pretty battered around the the internet in the last two years. Now the heat's come off it quite a bit in the last six months, I think, but it's to do with the, the refrigerants that's being used. Yeah. Can you can I have a little chat with us about that? Because that's something that's if you read the internet, there's a lot of misinformation on there, and for somebody buying a heat pump. They could think, oh my God, the gas is in here. This is no good. And this, you know, it's renewable technology, but it's not. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, as I mentioned before, I mean, the, the term heat pump is a, a very broader, overarching term that um, uh, covers air conditioning and fridges and, and various other devices, um, as well as things like um, the products that Steve Electron specializes in, in air to water heat pumps and water to water. Um, as a, as a monoblock system or an outdoor machine, uh, these are encapsulated refrigerant circuits. So the mm. content of that refrigerant is contained within the device, unlike, say, an air conditioning system that would have refrigerant lines running into the house. Um, it essentially means that the, the likelihood of, of leaks or the volumes of, of refrigerants are, are decreased um, as opposed to other equipment on the market. So a lot of the concerns raised, certainly there's concerns about end of life and um, reclamation of uh, refrigerants, and that's 
um, pretty well governed as far as uh, the, the mechanical trades concerned and um, refrigeration is um, uh, regulated. Um, but in terms of general operation, general leaks, um, these are very safe for use within domestic applications. Um, you will find that there are a range of refrigerants and different refrigerants need to be applied to different applications. Um, uh, refrigerants have uh, a G- GWP value, which is a global warming potential value. Yep. Um, they also have a classification as well for um, toxicity and flammability. Um, if there were to be a leak um, with uh, a highly flammable refrigerant, such as propane, for example, um, then it just needs uh, prior consideration in terms of, uh, of the installation to mitigate any um, potential uh, combustion. Um, that means it goes outside. It means it goes a, a clearance away from a, a LPG bottles and that sort of thing, or a, a point of ignition. So, um, propane is pretty widely used in um, in Europe. Uh, it's, it's already in Australia. Um, there are other um, non-flammable uh, low GWP, high GWP. So, um, it's a topic of concern. Uh, but the big thing I tell, uh, I guess, the ESD sector in Australia and the mechanical sector is that um, there is a global phase down. And it's a phase down, not a phase out. Yeah. So whilst there's accelerated uh, phase down uh, targets within Europe, um, we need to um, need to slow our, our ambitions a little bit locally uh, and not try and jump to super super low GWP values on these type of products just for the sake of having a certificate to say you've done so. Yeah. And there's inefficiencies when you when you do that as well. So you change the gas, the efficiencies drop in the units, etc. So there's a there's a uh, there's a bit to it. And um, the only reason I brought it up um, was because um, it's the the 2003 Act is getting battered around on the internet quite a bit. Um, for anyone out there, if you have a look anywhere on the internet, there's an ozone protection synthetic greenhouse gas management act which came out. That means you have to dispose of these gases correctly. Um, there's a body. Just look at it on the internet yourselves. Um, most of the gases, anything to do with a heat pump, they usually have these refrigerants in there and they need to be disposed of correctly. That's all I was trying to get at. Um, with you guys, your heat pumps and everything, like you said, they're a closed loop system or they're a contained system. So they're generally not that much of an issue and the, the, the refrigerant amount is quite low. Yeah. We'd be more, if for the general audience out there, when you're talking about split systems, that's where you have to be careful. Anyone that's getting rid of a split system in a in a house, especially with demolition, they cut the pipes and it releases the air, and that is extremely bad, extremely mm-hmm. bad. So I just wanted to touch on that um, to clear that up. Okay, um, I guess uh, just just move- just on that, I suppose just wouldn't mind rounding off. I, I, like it's a bigger picture. Every time you try and you know do something good, yeah, you, know, you hear these green. Rev- uh, revolution, you know, and the amount of mining that we need to do now to, um, you know, for the lithium and everything to go from gasoline cars to electric cars, it's just not easy. There's no, there's no straightforward answer on anything. But I suppose are a stable, and is there any research generally going into new types of gases for these sorts of units? Yeah, absolutely, and, and it's a great question because it ties into, I suppose, um, two greater issues. One that Brian's already brought up, and, and that is the the phase down and, and <clears throat> where we sit in that phase down, but also where 
know, the big manufacturing nation or uh, regions such as uh, Asia, Europe, America um, sit. In terms of um, there, there is an arms race essentially for manufacturers to come up with the next best thing and, and move their systems over to lower GWP refrigerants. Um, certainly in Europe we're seeing that um, post-COVID uh, and post-COVID recovery with incentives moving towards uh, renewable technologies such as heat pumps in Europe particularly, but then also the impacts of the Russia invasion of Ukraine um, and the lack of availability of, of Russian and, and Ukrainian gas has driven heat pumps even further. So um, mm. it creates a, a difficult market where the R&D in pursuing these new technologies and the availability of new compressors and systems um, in a market where the supply is outstripping demand four or five times, um, we've got until probably 2030 until we see that next real uh, sharp d- d- uh, fall in requirements for GWP in Europe. Um, so there's a few years for, for some testing and new, new devices to, to become available. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Um, when you mentioned um, that you're four or five times short of demand, um, I personally have noted that anyone that's doing LCA at the moment, they figure out pretty quickly that instantaneous gas hot water heater is pretty bad for your life cycle analysis on a house and you pop in a heat pump there and your efficiencies are like, that's where you really see a huge efficiency immediately. So when you you mentioned like problems with Ukraine and all that kind of stuff, how how is your supply chains, et cetera? And can you talk to us a little bit about electrification and where you see the industry going at the moment? Jesus, a few questions in that. Um, (laughs) Sorry. It's it's a perfect storm for us locally. Um, For for 27 years uh, in Australia, we've we've been beating the electrification drum Um, and guys like yourself have listened years ago um, and that's picked up momentum. So it's like a big snowball for us at the moment and it's got got so large, we've got so much momentum Um, and we are certainly relevant uh, as a... Australia, New Zealand sector, Oceania sector for um, Steve Lotron uh, globally, uh, but also their domestic market is important. And also uh, Switzerland uh, is important, the biggest heat pump um, uh, market for us in, in the world. So all of these uh, important countries are crying out for, uh, for priority. Yeah. And Everybody has their own objectives and incentives and uh, big pushes to, to go towards heat pumps. So um, you only have to Google uh, banning of, of gas. Uh, Scotland, I think, has banned gas boilers from this year. Yeah. UK is banning gas boilers from 2025, I think. Uh, Denmark has already banned gas to homes. Um, the countries are, are coming forward and making a stance essentially on moving away from fossil fuels before before um, the Ukraine um, invasion. So um, supply chain, you know, I, I talk about um, demand outstripping supply four or five times, and that's not necessarily just with Steve Lotron, but that's affecting all manufacturers in Europe. Um, and you can see that just by the ambitions of countries such as the UK who you know, want to install something like 600,000 heat pumps per year um, and they're, they're not even near, nearly half of that at the moment. Nah, um, that's, that's a big ask. <laughs> it is. And a lot of that's going to be driven by what's currently available to them um, from the, the, the global manufacturing uh, front. 
Yeah. Um, uh, the latter part of your question in terms of um, where we see the market here locally, um, it, it, I think it's um, taken a very severe swing in favour of electrification in the last two years. It's almost like the pollies have got up one day and, and realised that, hey, we actually have to do something about climate change and it's actually not that hard. We just bite the bullet. We make some hard, tough decisions. We've seen um, the gas substitution roadmap um, being proposed in uh, Victoria, but other programs in New South Wales and South Australia starting to, uh, to pop their head up. So it's, um, I guess, some courageous decisions by uh, state and government, federal, um, local government leaders to, uh, to put pen to paper to make the call and, and actually lead on, the, yeah. on this issue. Um, but then also driven by voluntary programs, you know, yourself involved with, uh, for a long time, with Passive House. Um, Passive House is taking or, or gathering huge momentum. Mm. Um, and whilst we don't necessarily see um, uh, a lot of our systems going into Passive House, i.e. hydronic heating and geothermal heat pumps, and um, that's, a, that's a symptom of uh, getting the fabric right and actually being in an environment where we can rely on very, very minimal uh, heating and cooling loads. And that's essentially where we really need to be in our housing stock is to uh, really focus on building fabric, be a fabric-first type uh, building code, um, and then whatever consumption we need, be it heating, cooling, or hot water, uh, we do very, very efficiently, which comes back to you know, the, the statement you made from uh, my introduction about you know, the generation of energy is important um, to how we actually consume it. Yeah. Um, saying I, just, yep. just sorry, uh, Tom. Just saying there that you've seen a big upswing in the last two years with regards to uh, electrification. Would you have any sort of stats on on you, how your market share has changed or, or anything like that? You can let us uh, in on just on the side. Uh, market share is a little bit tricky yep. um, because uh, we. We would get um, uh, obviously we, we know what we do and we know what our growth is like and, and our growth um, since we we began the renewables division back uh, six years ago seven years ago um, our growth including uh, not hot water heat pumps but um, hydronic air, air to water heat pumps and, and water to water heat pumps and ventilation systems has uh, been fifty percent year on year. And it just continues to grow and grow and grow and grow. And this year it's supposed to be 125% growth. Wow. Um, so, you know, uh, when I first started nearly 15 years ago with Steve Oltron, um, you, you might meet one in 10 people that knew who Steve Oltron was. Uh, mm. And now it's people coming to us because they want Steve Oltron solutions, um, which is very humbling. It's, um, it's humbling for the work that myself and others have done in, in in growing recognition for the solutions that, that we provide and um, being staunch on electrification and uh, just doing things better with European solutions. But I think it's uh, Australian appetite has finally caught up with um, the, the, the market and then the consumers are really chasing um, European solutions, i.e. passive house, i.e. Um, hydronic heating, i.e. heat pumps in general. I think mm -hmm. one of the biggest catalysts for all of this um, is a byproduct of COVID. Um, when when people were in lockdown, etc., a lot of people switched to you know like social media platforms, etc., and 
for me, I saw a huge, like it was a massive conversation that started around passive house and renewables, etc. And because once it started, it's exactly like you say, it's a snowball. A lot of it is just information. People don't have the information. And then as soon as they have the information, it's like, well, hang on a minute. That's common sense. Why would we go back here if this is the way forward and this is better? It's better for the environment. It's better for us. And yeah, it's a little bit more outlay at the start, but we all know the end goal is far better. I thought that was one of the best, probably, yeah, for me, it was one of the only things that came out of COVID was... Mm -hmm. There was a huge uptake in renewables and a huge amount of information that was shared over that year and a half. And it just kept coming and coming and coming and coming and coming. And I loved it. I, th I thought it was fantastic. Everybody got involved with it. Yeah, I thought it was really good. Over and here on the on the East Coast, Brian, we're locked in our homes for <laughs> however many months. We saw our energy bills go through the roof over yeah, winter yeah. and that changed a lot of people. A lot of yeah. people looking at blank walls, you're buying art and, and, and yeah. the energy bills getting uh going up well necessity drives necessity drives change and as you pointed out tom like look at their targets in england why are their targets like that because there is a war and there's a shortage of a resource and when there's a shortage of a resource you have to look at an alternative source and that's exactly what they're doing yeah. mm -hmm. it's, it's like unfortunately war has delivered that for them but it's like most things in history, isn't it? <laughs> Unfortunately. The, the key indicators for us, um, I think if you take uh, heat recovery ventilation, which is um, one of our fastest growing product groups um, locally, um, we had bushfires back in 2019 and then we had you know, COVID hit in 2020, then it was lockdowns all of 2021. So, you know, you, you take the, the threat of fires and smoke and clean homes, you take then the threat of virus, you take then the um, uh, sustained occupation of the one space with the, your uh, your beloveds. Mm -hmm. um, Poetically put. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, I think it really changes essentially what consumers then look for when they want to build a house. You know, you go back maybe four years ago, uh, Mr. Mrs. Jones, your house will be leaky, but, you know, you get a yeah. $50,000 marble bench top for free. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. That's a big change. That's what I was saying about COVID. When, once yeah. that information got out there and like the real relevance of importance really started to come forward. It was good. Yeah. Um, all right. So we need to move on a bit. Uh, you mentioned radiant heating. Let's talk a little bit about radiant heating. So we're all silly here. Can you explain exactly what radiant, heat is, radiant heating is, um, how it works and where it would apply? So essentially radiant heating, as we know it, is, is uh, surface heating, um, utilising uh, convection from a surface, be it um, underfloor heating or a radiator uh, where heat is, is emitted and transfers into the room and essentially rises um, and you get a, a very even layer of, of heating um, that is unparalleled um, as opposed to, to fan-force heating. It's not a quick form of heating, um, so it's more suited in uh, climates such as Melbourne and um, Tasmania, lower parts of south, uh, south southern New South Wales, for example. Um, but certainly down to the to the south of Perth, uh, we do have a lot of requests for uh, radiant heating in those cooler areas. Um, so, climate zone specific, we're talking six, seven, and eight. Yeah, we we got sustained winter periods where you don't have sharp changes, uh, winter or uh, warm to, to cool days, um, 
like you might do in, say, Sydney or further north or maybe up above uh, Perth, for example. Yeah. Um, that said, uh, it's a very, very efficient way to, to heat, uh, particularly when using a heat pump. So one of our specialties and one of the products in my portfolio is air-to-water uh, or water-to-water, commonly known as geothermal heat pumps, where we're essentially using the, the heat pump principle uh, with a different source, so taking latent heat energy from water or from air and investing that into water that then is piped and distributed around the house. Um, the big advantage of these hydronic heat pump systems is that they're able to do your space heating, space cooling, hot water heating, cool heating, any sort of thermal activity within the house. Um, it does come at a cost. They are a premium solution, um, which is often overlooked by consumers at that point because they're maybe they spent the money on the windows and maybe they spent the money on the wraps and um, they just need to hit a specific heat load and, and air conditioning will suffice. Yeah. Um, and we'll often advise if, if that is the case, they don't have the budget for it to get the fabric right and go with um, a, a, an air conditioning, which is still a heat pump. Yeah. But for those consumers who suffer from allergies um, and are particularly uh, sensitive to um, air conditioning or fan-forced heating or cooling uh, that, that has a propensity to dry out the air, then uh, radiant heating is a popular choice. Yeah, I, I think radiant heating, uh, it's all over Europe. Like We were putting in radiant heating when I was doing my apprenticeship in Ireland. But again, as you point out, like climate zone 6, 7, and 8 is, is pretty much the same as Ireland. So if you're in Denmark and Western Australia, same kind of climate as it is in Ireland for the most part. Um, they don't see the efficiencies just yet, but I hear you. Once fabric of the building catches up and the code gets better, then radiant heating will become more viable option. I think at the moment, it's, it's viable in larger buildings. Absolutely. Yeah. So it becomes more comparable cost-wise when you have larger floor areas and larger buildings and larger areas that you need to heat. Um, and then you have like your radiant heating with your thermal mass and it becomes, for me personally, I think I haven't done radiant heating in Australia, full disclosure. I haven't done it yet. We've done heaps of it. Like every, every house in Ireland has it pretty much. Mm. It's the cheapest form of heating over there. Hydronic um, heating is the starting point for nine out of ten of our clients if not ten out of ten um of course it can be cost prohibitive the you know the challenging part again nine out of ten or ten out of ten of our clients come to us and want to get off gas um yeah and that's the the real challenge you know the, the electric heat pump systems they're a lot more efficient incredibly more efficient than gas but the, at the moment to install they're a lot more they're more costly. More Do you costly, see that? More, more yeah. spatially expensive as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's yeah. right too. And further to Brian mentioned about large spaces, we, we had a property um, or a home, sorry, that's large-ish. You know, it's got a large living, um, dining, kitchen. And, yeah, and we to, to do the panels in there, you know, the hydronic panels, it was basically just, just too many panels and cost prohibitive. So I believe that cl that client was so determined to get off gas, but because of that, and we couldn't do a slab, a, uh, an in slab hydronic heating solution would have sufficed, but we, it wasn't appropriate for this sloping block. So that was a challenge there. Do, do you see that changing? Uh, you know, are there movements on that front um, to to I suppose bring the Make it um, more competitive with gas. I mean, that's that's always a challenge when that technology is so old. Um, more competitive with gas. I mean, I guess it depends which, which way you want to approach that question. 
Um, Price competitive. Yeah, I mean, we're, <laughs> we're, we're highly competitive with gas. In, in fact, we, we, we knock, it, knock it out of the park. Um, any heat pump would have superior efficiency to a gas hydronic system. Um, uh, Price-wise, no, not really. I mean, gas is a very dumb technology. Uh, it doesn't require a lot of infrastructure. Um, so it's, they're fairly simple to set up and cost-effective. Um, to that end, uh, when clients come to us, they often look at or have to be guided to look at um, the fact that a hydronic system, air to water or even water to water, can do heating and cooling. Mm. So you put a gas hydronic system in, you're looking at a sum cost for a heating-only product. Um, you can then start to look at what else you're doing, hot water and pool heating and all these other things. So um, by consolidating some of those, you can be more competitive than, than gas solutions or decoupled solutions for sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to touch on geo, but I might go back to that later because I'm running out of time. Um, can we? This is a big one. Um, uh, yeah, look, for those of you who don't know how hydronic heating is, again, hit YouTube and there's tons and tons and tons of videos that show you. Essentially, it's pipes laid out on the floor. You have a, a heat source outside or hot water heat that's pumped through those pipes. It goes through the thermal mass in the floor and then transfers heat into the building, thus maintaining an ambient temperature inside the home. It's not an instant delivery, as Tom pointed out. So you need to do your research and you need to get the right people involved. If you are looking into hydronic heating, it's very important that you get the right people involved to make sure that you don't waste your money. Very, very important. I can't um, recommend it enough. Hydronic heating or electric and and the stable system. Yeah, it, especially in the right climate zones. If it's in the right climate zone, like I said, six, seven, eight, it's a fantastic product. Yeah. Um, can we move on now, please, to heat recovery ventilation? Um, you mentioned it briefly and you said that it's it's like a juggernaut, which I agree with. We're, we're getting queries all the time because we're one of the Stiebel, um installers. We're a certified installer for Stiebel. So, the we see it coming up a lot in just normal homes like people are now saying oh we want heat recovery ventilation so let's go through start at the very start so you guys brought in heat recovery ventilation into australia for us seven to eight years ago yep. um so let's talk through what it actually does how it works and then we'll take the conversation from there okay so quite simply i mean we, we always start the journey with clients to explain that um Firstly, the, the, the naming or the nomenclature of, of HRV means heat recovery ventilation. Um, but in Australia, really, um, we should be terming the system as MVHR, so mechanical ventilation with heat recovery. Because the most important thing to understand is unless you're building a passive house, the heat recovery component is nice to have, but it's not the primary function. The primary function of the system is to provide fresh air to the building. Now, you take a 1980s, 1990s built house anywhere in Australia and you're probably not going to need ventilation because those houses were built with free ventilation. So your air infiltration rates uh, are going to be sufficiently high that you'll have no control over where the balance or the makeup air is coming from. But as we start to move into the 21st century, finally, um, we're seeing building codes require just better insulation, better windows, before we even start to talk about high-performance homes and the desire to uh, overachieve and, and get to passive house standards, um, we've already seen in, in Victoria the implementation of uh, minimum six-star standard down there. And, um, in project homes, just the race to get that six stars and better Seven windows. stars. Seven. Seven stars now. Seven. Yep. Yeah, yep. yeah, yeah. October, I believe, this year, is it? Yeah, so, that's right. Um, it, it's created an organic air tightness or a, or a, or a tighter 
building envelope, which is obviously restricting then the airflow, uh, the infiltration throughout the building. So um, condensation issues occur, um, and we're seeing uh, infiltration rates of, of around five to six air changes an hour through the building fabric, which is it's a bit of a disaster zone because it's um, it's where you start to get poor air quality, condensation yep. gets trapped inside, you start to develop uh, mould and mildew on corners and skirting boards because that's essentially your weak points in the in your wall structures. So heat recovery ventilation, even the project home space um, in Victoria particularly, has um, it's had a meteorite rise. But essentially it's been a viable solution for just better homes built over the last 10 years in Australia. Um, essentially you're bringing fresh air in, you're supplying uh, fresh exchanged air into living spaces, so bedrooms, dining rooms, living rooms, and then you're extracting stale air from kitchens, bathrooms, laundry. So you're taking that damp, moist air out through an exchanger. So any thermal energy you've invested in that space, be it heating or cooling, um, you get a proportionate exchange into the incoming air, all whilst going through filtration. So varying degrees of filtration available on the machines to um, filter out uh, dust and pollen and uh, particulates in the air. Um, you can sort of go to extremes and get bushfire relevant carbon filters, but um, the tighter the filter me- uh, mediums, um, they really start to decrease the capacity of the system. So um, we don't pitch into something that's going to stop bushfire smoke and, and COVID and the like. Um, fresh air is a, is, a, is a remedy for a lot of that sort of stuff. Yeah, and just on that note, while you're talking about filters, we get a lot of queries about HEPA filters in the system. Unfortunately, can't work. They're too tight. There's no efficiencies in them, and the machine won't work. That's just my, that's the feedback we were getting from Germany at the time, which is a couple of months ago. And, and, and that's the thing. I mean, you, you either design the system with that really, really tight filtration level, and uh, it has to be oversized because you have to then derate the system to, to, to counter for the, the pressure drop from those uh, much, much, much tighter filters. Then your efficiencies um, go out the window. Correct, correct. Um, <laughs> or you, you end up with a system that, um, uh, as we've seen with school ventilation, which is a, a product that we released last year, it's, it's just gone crazy. Um, fresh air as a uh, as a remedy for COVID and CO two uh, has proven to be far better than uh, purifiers that actually retain the bacteria within the, the space. Yeah, yeah. That that's going to be a big thing, I think. Uh, if it hasn't hit WA yet, we've been trying to push it, but especially in schools, huge deal, huge yeah. deal. Um, mm. So, um, if we come back, so I had this very conversation with a client yesterday, a potential client yesterday, about the heat recovery ventilation. Um, I agree with you when you say it is mechanical ventilation with heat recovery, because that's essentially what it is. It's only like you can term it heat recovery ventilation when you're talking about passive house, because you are considering your efficiencies. So in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, feel free to correct me, anything above three air exchanges, then you can't talk about efficiencies in a heat recovery ventilation system. And then we see six air exchanges, which is currently in the code. Anything below six air exchanges means you must have mechanical ventilation, some form of mechanical ventilation. Yep. So, is it, Sorry, Brian, is that in the code, did you say? Yes. Yeah, to the best of my knowledge, that is in the code. Is it? Yes. Below six air changes, you... It's, it's part of the new code, yeah. <laughs> yep. Now, I, I, I would, this is a side, I'll just plan it here, but I'd like to understand, because there's a lot of builders out there that, you know, they're building, they're quite, not even quite sure what they're, they're building. You know, if, if it has been modelled with Passive House, you don't really know where you're going to land 
with regards to air changes. So what happens when a builder does that and there's none, no HRV? I think that's a question for another time, but I think yeah. it's Maybe. we're in a we're in a state a very very delicate stage of of code changes right now, yeah. and as Tom pointed out, it's all the indicators point towards the mistakes that every other country has made in leaky building syndrome. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now our our government or our code board are trying to get ahead of that by introducing the six air exchanges. There's going to be a portion of these. Yeah, this is another conversation for another time. You're right. Yeah. My feeling is that they're heading in the right direction. If they're doing enough, I don't know. But when you increase the seven stars, you increase performance. When you increase performance, the quickest way to get there is by insulation in your building and making your building tighter and having bedding windows, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And the offset to that is your moisture management control. So there's a lot going on in the background. It's probably not for this for this particular podcast, but yes, you're right. It is. It's, it's a Pandora's box. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, we had Jesse Clark on just for Christmas, um, and we spoke a little bit about that. Oh, by the way, sorry, little introduction. Uh, spoke to Bertimi <laughs> yesterday, and they're having a national for all of the, everyone listening. The the Australian study that Jesse Clark did, they're going to actually do a national tour with that. So he's going to come around and do <laughs> um, uh, speeches or um, conferences all over Australia. I'll I'll let you guys know when that's happening. Sorry, Tom. You're very busy, boy. Yeah. <laughs> so with the heat recovery ventilation, um, when you talk about the efficiencies, Tom, can you just try and explain to somebody when you're talking about heat recovery, just explain how that works? Okay, so there's, there's two values that we work on with heat recovery ventilation systems. Um, there's the exchange efficiency. So we're bringing air in from outside through the filters across an exchanger. We're taking the stale air out of the build and we're flowing that across a concurrent flow heat exchanger to transfer as much as possible of that um, invested energy within that space of heating or cooling into the incoming airstream. So at lower speeds, uh, you know, we're, we're talking nominally max of about 90 to 94% efficiency across most good European um, HRV systems but nominally somewhere in the vicinity of sort of 80 to 85% at, at proper working volumes. Mm. Um, that is essentially for every 10 kilowatts you invest into the premises that as you're ventilating it over a period of, a, of an hour for a full volumetric air change, you, you would get back something like 8.5 kilowatts of heating or cooling invested. So your losses are, are just reduced. So it's not creating heat, it's essentially reducing or mitigating significant losses whilst ventilating yeah. And and that's like most of these are modeled on just the volumetric airflow in and out through the unit. They're not yeah. considering accidental air loss. Correct. Yeah. And yeah. that's where your efficiencies tend to that's that's the difficult part of the conversation. <laughs> so if you've accidental air loss, we talk about air exchanges. If you've accidental air loss, let's say it's thirty five degrees outside and you're getting that heat transfer from the incoming air to the outgoing air and you're you have a maintained ambient temperature inside. But if your accidental air loss is six air exchanges. Well, then the efficiencies that are in that unit are counteracted by the inefficiencies of the incoming air or the accidental air coming into the building. So therefore, you're not getting, you are getting the efficiencies on the unit, but they're nullified by the fact that you, you don't have an airtight home. Does that make sense? Yeah. And, you can put your science hat on there. Bloody hell. I'm to, trying to, to keep up. To, to make it simple, it's, as Brian said, you know, it's 35 degrees outside and you, you cool in your premises and you go and put, say, your, your bathroom fan on, that's then ripping out that... Um, yep. Uh, sale steamy air out of your bathroom. Where does the balance of the air come from? 
Mm. It comes from the building fabric somewhere, right? So um, the likelihood that you're bringing uh, unfiltered 35-degree air into your nice cool space uh, is enhanced by the volume of air that you're ripping out as you depressurize the build. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's where it's, it's, it's a conversation that's very difficult at the moment. When you don't, like, if you're airtight, it's good. If you're not airtight, it's still good. But, like, there's a, a, a misconception out there that heat recovery ventilation or MH or mechanical heat recovery ventilation is, is going to heat and cool your home. It's mm. not an air conditioner, mm. and it needs to be very, it needs to be explained that it is not an air conditioner. It will ass- yep. Yeah, it will assist with maintaining an ambient temperature, provided the right conditions are applied with the installation. Yep. Yep. So, but so just to dumb it down, if if I have a beautiful north facing living room and bedrooms on the south, and they're you know they're freezing, in, you know, on a eight degree Melbourne morning like it was this morning in summer in February, anyway, um, it, it will transport that. It will level out that that warm air from the living room. It will be exported to that the colder areas of the home. Correct. So in a centralised scenario where we actually have ducting distribution to uh, supply into bedrooms and living spaces and extract from your bathrooms, um, you will achieve an equilibrium within the space. Um, But you still need to maintain the temperature inside and and look in a heating scenario like you're talking, um, a lot of that can be done off body heat and cooking and showering and just the, the sheer waste heat from appliances. It's a lot harder to do with cooling. Um, yeah, yeah. But in, in your application, a very simple scenario, and we use this from our good old Swiss colleagues, um, uh, when you have uh, a zero-degree outside air temperature and a 90, 90% efficient machine and you want 20 degrees inside and you're maintaining 20 degrees inside, as you replace that air or the air exchanges, um, the incoming air will essentially be 18 as the outgoing air is 20. Makes it pretty mm-hmm. simple. So yeah. then the, the, the delta T of, of makeup temperature you need to do, your air conditioner or your radiant heating system only needs to make up two degrees and, and not 20 degrees. Yeah, yeah. gotcha. That's, That's the passive house principle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's how it applies. Okay. Just, just, um, just, just yeah? aside on just on that uh, uh, HRV, we had a, a, we've got a client now we're just about to renovate for. They installed, sorry, a, a previous owner installed a HRV in their leaky. It's very leak. I expect we haven't done it, you know, an air test on it, but you know, it's an it's a nineteen nineties extension with little thought to the fabric. And they installed the HRV, and that they've been very happy with it for the twenty or so years they've been there. So that's, all right. It, it's just a testament, I think, to um, well, what they can do even in poorly. Um, sealed homes. Um, it's obviously nowhere near as efficient as what it should or could be. But um, yeah, I, I just thought that was an interesting vantage point that they're coming from. Yeah, I mean, e- even in today's housing stock um, that that aren't getting down to six air changes or, or, or lower, mm. um, because the ventilation system, the, the heat recovery ventilation systems, operate as a balance system, so they're neutral pressure. So what you're putting in, you're taking out. Um, the only really, the only time you're really experiencing that um, six or seven uh, air changes an hour of, of infiltration is when there's a differential pressure between external and, and internal. So strong breeze outside, or if you've got a range hood running in the kitchen, or you've got extraction fans running, bathrooms, kitchens, laundries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So having the ventilation system installed in a um, typical Australian home 
uh, under neutral pressure without any other um, uh, influence, uh, will still give the advantage of fresh air, good extraction, good filtration, and a little bit of heat recovery, but probably not to the expectations that, um, that Brian wants to work to with the passive house um, mm. space. And what just yeah. So, and what what I think people like most about as well is just the, that air quality. Yeah, you know, with there's so many allergies and that sort of thing. People are, yeah. It, anyone watches uh, what is it today tonight or any of that BS? You know, you'll see a new allergy come out every week. So, um, people are certainly conscious of um, that. We, we've had a lot of people come to us you know, conscious about air quality in their homes and HRVs are diesel. A very good solution, no doubt. It will yeah. become more and more and more relevant, especially when we start building high performance without mechanical ventilation. You will see some data start to come through and you will see mold and mildew become a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um, just one thing I wanted to touch on that really excites me, Tom, um, is uh, the potential for heat coil on heat recovery ventilation. So particularly for you know those climate six, seven and eight, where they only need heating, they don't require cooling. Yep. Um, I know cooling is still a big problem, especially for us here in Perth. I would love to have some kind of a cooling unit integrated into heat recovery. But can you just talk to us a little bit about the heating coil? Because that's more relevant to Melbourne, et cetera. Yeah, so I guess there's, there's, there's I guess two, two types, essentially, two common types of uh, coils or preheated, reheated type scenarios you see in a MVHR unit or HRV or ERV machines. Um, most commonly, they're a, a preheater as a, a defrost function for yep. very, very cold climates. Um, can't really say we've deployed too many systems, maybe down into the snowy mountains where we've actually had to engage the, um, the preheated coil. Um, uh, a reheated coil can essentially also be used on the uh, opposite side to, to reheat the air to give a couple of kilowatts of contribution into the space, which in certain size properties might be all they really need. Um, as a, an electric resistive uh, input. Um, we've just got in a sample this year or just last year and, and looking to to launch a, a, a post-heater cooler box module that um, is designed to operate with some of our ground source heat pumps that can take um, the uh, the discharge on the evaporator side, so the chill water, uh, and duct into uh, specifically ventilation systems. Um, so really? There are some cool products starting to come out of Europe, and that's good. We, we we have a number of products at our fingertips that are just not ready for Australian market, um, and they'll come. Uh, other manufacturers will come. Other um, other solutions will come as as the appetite grows and grows and grows locally. So, um, I'll I'll hit your link, Brian, at some stage. Yeah. Job on a job on the east coast where uh, one of our passive house consultants is doing his own place with. Um, uh, induct um, induct hydronic cooling through his ventilation system through some dehumidifier. So yes, uh, yeah, that, cool that, job. So I really want to see how that works because that worries me about like condensation and stuff like that. But I'm sure they'll make sure that it works. But the, we all know that the delta for heating is much easier than the delta for cooling. So, so you lose a lot. You yeah. use a lot more energy to cool than you do to heat. So for us, it's a big problem, and that's why we all use split systems for yeah. cooling. Heating's easy in the yeah. regard, and particularly adding the heating as a as an induct component when you've got a low heat load. Yeah. Um, the, the cooling needs to be considered for condensation, and that's why dehumidifiers are often often used. Tom, we're running out of time, but can you just really quickly explain um, 
ERV. For the majority of Australia, we don't need it. But there are, like, once we get up to, you know, three, two, and one up to those climates, it needs to be a consideration. Can you just explain that really quickly, if you can? Yes, it's basically ERV or an enthalpy uh, or energy recovery ventilation or an enthalpy exchange. Yep. Um, allows us to recover both sensible heat and latent heat. So we're recovering uh, moisture as well as the thermal energy. Yep. Um, specifically in uh, uh, cooling climates um, north of probably Coffs Harbour on the east coast. I'm not sure where we would draw the line in, in uh, on the west coast, but um, where we, we suffer from high humidity, we need to be able to transfer that humidity and manage that humidity internally. So generally as a, as a stock standard rule, um, subtropical or surrounds and, and, and north is, is where we deploy ERV in Australia. Yeah. Um, HRV anywhere south of sort of Sydney, Melbourne, Tassie, SA, Perth. Yep. So when you get into that level, you're, you're going to be looking at a passive house consultant, essentially. Um, yeah. Climate zone three, debatable. Two and one, most definitely ERV. And then when we go four, five, six, seven, and eight, it's HRV. That, yeah. That's kind of the rule of thumb at the moment R- in Australia. R- rule of thumb, um, but open to analyses. Um, yeah, for uh, sure. Sydney's a little bit of a, a swinging market with, with different attempts to do different things. Um, yeah. uh, it comes down to job-to-job uh, basis, I suppose. Yeah. Okay. Um, I think we're going to have to wrap it up. There is, I had another few questions. Um, one of them was about where you think the industry is going, but you've already kind of answered that with um, your topic on electrification and where it was going. I reckon, uh, Simon, have you got anything else or will we hit the questions? Yeah, I think yeah, there's plenty plenty else, but um, now we'll be for another hour, Brian, so I reckon we've got to wrap her up. <laughs> okay. All right, we got some quick fire questions for you, Tom. You ready? Okay. Most famous person in your phone book? Ooh, uh, former Wallaby Richard Harry. Ah, you're nice. you're definitely a rugby man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How do you reckon you'll go this year? We've got World Cup coming up, man. Uh, we're starting to come good. We've got some young guys coming through, so I'm quietly confident, but it's hard to say. I'm going to put it out there right now. Ireland number one have been for quite a while. I reckon we're going to be. This is our year. This is our year. Absolutely. Watch this space. We've got six nations <laughs> coming up next week. So, yeah, I'm excited. Sorry. Uh, Tom, favorite sporting team? Sydney uh, Roosters. All right. Passive house or passive solar? Uh, has to be passive house. <laughs> Timber or brick construction? Timber. Okay. Favorite music? Punk rock. That's a bit out there. I wasn't expecting that one. Tim Tam <laughs> or Anzac? <laughs> Anzac, for sure. Yay! I love the Amzac. We're going to love Tim Tams. I love the Amzac. Okay. Wow. What a fantastic conversation, Tom. Absolutely incredible. Um, I think we can all agree we start another new year and we all strive to improve our targets and reduce our footprint. We most definitely need people like you, Tom, and companies like Steve Eletron to assist us in getting there. Thank you again for your time, Matt. I know it's, um, it's very valuable, so we really, really appreciate your time. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you very much for having me. It's been great. Okay. Thanks, so- thanks Tom. Uh, everyone else, like I said, keep an eye out for um, the next couple of months. We've got some good webinars coming up. And uh, as I said, Proclaim, I have Jesse Clark doing the rounds of Australia. So keep an eye on the socials for that as well. So I guess from me, Brian, thank you everybody for showing up. And from thank you very much, Simon, for joining me. Pleasure, Brian. Good to be off to a good yeah. start. It's an exciting year. We're looking forward to it. Yeah. Happy New Year to everyone out there. And we'll see you in the next one. Pleasure.